Hey there. This is Story Story Late Night, the positively shameless black sheep of our storytelling family, where you hear bleep-worthy stories on our unblushing theme, Stories That Still Haunt. We are exploring those stories that are still going bump in the night of our brains from our story slammers. We need your support. Text the code STORYPOD to 44321. During the slam, we leave space for members of our audience to share a five-minute story. We are back, the visual arts collective in the Searle Mitchell Live, Work, Create district of Garden City, Idaho. I'm artistic director Jody Eichelberger. Now, we'll be hearing from random audience members from ghosts to ghouls. Don't look behind you. It's Late Night Stories. All right, please join me in welcoming our first slammer of the evening, Fran Scott. one story leads to another. So I will admit, I do know who broke my sacred seal. It was my husband of 26 years. And I will not tell you whether it was on the night of our wedding or before. That is an insignificant fact. But I will tell you a little story about my sister and I. I was I love books, so I have bookshelves, and I have a lot of books on my bookshelves, and I hide things in my books. And I came across a list of men (laughs) that I had dated after my divorce. And I'm guessing that many of you, after a divorce, have a little bit of a wild time, correct? (laughs) So my sister and I decide we are going to write a list of every single man that we have had sex with. And so thus begins the discussion of, well, what exactly is sex? Is it kissing? Is it making out? Do you have your clothes on? Do you have your clothes off? Is it penetration? Is it just feeling someone up? What might that be? I won't tell you the number (laughs) on my list, but I will tell you that there were names on that list, or rather descriptions of men on that list whose names I did not remember. So for example, the guy that I met at Flying M in the line while getting my mocha. Don't remember his name. So I think about my books and I think about all of those little hidden secrets in my books and I think about the journals that I have on my bookshelf as well. And I have journals dating back to 1983. And I want to back up a little bit. I want to tell you a little funny story about um, how many of you have been to like a haunted woods here in the valley? Right? Would Would you ever go to one during the day? Do you think it would be as scary? But we would go every year, my three teenagers and I and their dad, and we would have a ball. We would get chased by people in masks with chainsaws. We would come across bloodied corpse in a building. But I think the thing that haunted my pocketbook the most was one year, my teenaged youngest daughter 
was walking across a bridge right in front of me, and she got so scared that she screamed out the third retainer that we had just bought for her. <laughs> that has haunted my pocketbook for a long time. <laughs> but I think about things that have haunted me. And I think about those journals on my bookshelf. And I think about the number of stories in those journals dating back to when I was a teenager that I didn't share with anybody for a long time. And I'm guessing that everybody in the room has had some kind of trauma. I don't think you'd be human if you didn't have any trauma. But what I've discovered is that when we keep that trauma in the darkness, it becomes incredibly scary. And I think we lose the fear and we lose the haunting when we come to events like this, when we share our stories with our friends, when we brave telling our stories to strangers. And I was gonna tell you what my trauma was, what my deep, dark secrets were in the journal, but I think it doesn't really matter. I think what matters is that we learn to be comfortable telling our stories to our friends and our family, and maybe even ourselves. You know, I think I hid those stories from myself for so long. And I've been reading through my journals, and let me tell you, <laughs> my journals go back to being 12 years old. <laughs> so I realized that a lot of the things that haunted me when I was 12 years old still haunt me when I am much older than 12. But I think about hauntings and I think about stories and I feel the light come into my life and I feel like I don't have to hide under the covers and have every inch of my skin covered when I share my stories. And I hope that by sharing stories, it encourages others to share their stories and to not be so haunted by those things left in the darkness. Thank you. Chris F. I have to stay still. This is a challenge tonight. Don't expect this to be inspirational. <laughs> We're not in for that, no. My dog is a 12-pound Italian greyhound and uh, very small, fragile creatures, and his penis was bleeding. It was bleeding, I know. It's like the most heartbreaking thing I can imagine. This, this haunts me to this day. Um, we took him to the doctor, and the doctor's like, he has a prolapsed urethra. Um, we're gonna have to do a reduction surgery. I'm like, first, before anything, I'm gonna need you to get in writing that my son needs a penis reduction surgery. <laughs> Proud of him. <laughs> He's tiny, but it just like popped out of itself. It just like <laughs> So we had the house wrapped up. You know, you don't wanna ruin your furniture. I love him, but it's not worth the couch. <laughs> Got that at Costco, but still, that was like 800 bucks. <laughs> And uh, we have the house wrapped up. It's a rough week. We finally get him in for his surgery. He uh, 
has to have a catheter in. And uh, they don't put a bag on there for a dog. Like a human, it's real convenient, you know, you don't pee on yourself. But if you're a dog, they're just like, oh, just let them pee on their house, who cares? They must have their house wrapped up like a freak already, so who cares? <laughs> and we did. It was weird. It was awkward. Walking on plastic for weeks. And uh, I'm in my house one day, enjoying myself, doing the things I do in my house privately when I'm alone uh, with my dog. And my dog, um, he like looks out the window and I see my property manager and two cops walking towards my apartment. And they point up the second floor window and they, <laughs> like my first thought is like, what the fuck did the tweaker neighbors do this time? And they point at my house. I'm like, I'm the tweaker neighbor. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> and, uh, they come up to the door and I pick up the dog as if he's evidence, I've done nothing wrong. I'm like, look at him. <laughs> it's pathetic, he's hanging on by a thread. <laughs> it's like a tooth that's loose that just won't fall out. <laughs> and uh, they come to the door and they say, so uh, we don't wanna mess with your day. Uh, we just found a shell casing over by the office and there's a trail of blood leading up to your front door here. <laughs> and you know, my, my rule has always been don't answer the door for cops. Maybe that's just a leftover from my house smelling illegal from some weird leftover thing. <laughs> But uh, don't answer the door for cops. But I changed it that day. Don't answer the door for cops unless your house is wrapped up like Dexter's and there's a trail of blood leading to your door. <laughs> oh, I've never been so scared. I was like, I'm going to jail right, right this instant. There's, there's, this house smells illegal. I don't know if you understand. It's a serious business. And uh, a man's been shot, but this guy needs to go to jail. And uh, the cop's like, all right, sorry, uh, we don't want to interrupt you. You guys have a good day. And uh, they left, you know? And what would have been a death sentence for one turned out to be a joke for me. <laughs> Sorry if that seems insensitive. No big moral of the story here, just I love my dog <laughs> so much. And he's on his last limb, dude. He's gonna die like any month now. And I'm like, it's so funny that this little loose tooth is uh, gonna break my soul. <laughs> like. I'm gonna cry more when my dog dies than when my blank family member, because I'm recording this. I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. Sorry, Grandma. Um, <laughs> life's hard. I love you guys. I've been Chris Foster. Have a good night. Nicole. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so I'm not prepared. I have not prepared for this. That's a scary thing. <laughs> so, um, okay, another scary thing. Um, I see ghosts. So, my husband and I, oh, another scary thing. <laughs> Once upon a time, a young couple could afford to buy a new house in Boise. <laughs> Okay, so we're walking through this new, bigger family-sized home because we have a kid, finally, after all those years of college. And, um, and I'm pretty sure that I can see ghosts, and this is the first time that I actually, well, maybe the second time I actually saw a ghost in a house I was considering moving into. Um, it was the owner's, um, his mother. So the, the current owner, I knew a little bit of their situation, and it was his mother's perfume on the bottom stairwell. So we walked through this house, and um, the basement 
all basements are creepy, but the basement was creepy. It was kind of dim and I was like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. And I got to the stairwell and I realized I could smell her perfume. And um, so I just, and then I realized that this house was a house I'd been driving by in Boise for years. And like every time I went by the window, I always thought there was someone in the attic staring out at me. <laughs> and I was like, I will never live in that house. <laughs> this is my house now. <laughs> so anyways, um, yeah, they, they remodeled it and it looked beautiful. So I didn't recognize that it was the same creepy, green, mossy looking house. And um, so I smelled her perfume in the stairwell. And because I do feel like I see ghosts sometimes, I asked her, like, is this okay, like, if we live here? And I felt like the answer was, yeah. Like, okay, yeah, this is good. So, so we bought the place and we moved in. So the first summer, we get ready to go on this big week-long vacation and, um, you know, and take our kid and everything. And I'm vacuuming the floor and I find this postcard underneath of the couch and I pull it out and it's a postcard from the previous owner's mother <laughs> to their house sitter. And I swear to you, this house was clean when we moved in and I found this postcard like that like dropped off the wall or God only knows where. And I pull it out and it says, be sure to lock up, you know, to the, to the housekeeper or whoever was gonna watch the house while they were on vacation. Um, and to make sure that you lock the upstairs window, like period. And do you think I locked the upstairs window before I left? <laughs> you bet I did. <laughs> Cause I didn't want her haunting my ass. <laughs> so yeah. And so I felt anyways, um, I don't know if I saw or felt her again, but there was another incident in our house, which is that, um, because of us having talked to the previous owner, I knew that his dad was, was Larry, and sometimes people called him Scary Larry. I don't know why. <laughs> and um, after we moved in, my son got older, he would build these little like toy walls around both entrances to his room, um, because it's a really super old house. And so you come in and to go upstairs, you actually have to go through the corner of my son's room and up this like really super steep staircase, uh, like a ship's ladder staircase. And so he would build these little like toy walls at the entrances and he told us it was so that there was this person wouldn't come in who was named Scary. So, <laughs> yeah. So anyways, the lights would sometimes turn on in the basement and when we inhabited the basement, the lights would turn on in the attic instead. And then one day my husband and I got ready to move up into the attic room, which has incredible light according to the real estate agent. <laughs> so like I'm like I'm scrubbing the tub up there and getting ready and I felt like there was someone like directly behind me and I was like god it's only like 3 or 4 p.m. I don't think it's my husband and I felt like it was scary Larry and like scowling at me and I was just like uh, we live here now <laughs> and let me assure you we're taking good care of this house see how I'm scrubbing the tub <laughs> And you can live in the basement now, um, and there will always be a room somewhere for you here in this house. Just try not to leave the lights on anymore <laughs> because of the power bill. So, <laughs> and so I felt, I felt like it was a yes, like, okay, 
you know, all right, I can accept that. And um, anyways, the last incident in this house was just a few years ago, and I had bought this bright red vacuum cleaner, and um, one night I left it at the top of this, that really super tall staircase, and I looked out my bedroom window, and um, I thought I saw someone like standing right next to the vacuum cleaner. And I was like, oh my God, the vacuum cleaner is possessed. <laughs> so I got rid of the vacuum cleaner. <laughs> and then I realized it was Scary Larry. <laughs> and he was like staring at me saying like, who the fuck left this vacuum cleaner at the top of this scary ass set of stairs? <laughs> Put that shit away. <laughs> So it's all good now. <laughs> Eric Judkowski. I'm 23 years old and I have 80 pounds of oranges because I've convinced the University of Michigan solar car team that I can feed their team on their weekend team building retreat and oranges are on sale. And I'm as frugal as I want to have new friends. I've stayed at Michigan for graduate school and all of my housemates got jobs and left. So I'm all alone and I'm trying to meet some new people. My plan is to do this with cheap oranges, logistics, and the application of thermodynamics, which I know will impress engineers. <laughs> a single orange is a tasty treat for one person, but 80 pounds of ripe oranges with 40 drunk engineers is a tactical error. we are not going to get the security deposit back on this rental. It's like 80 pounds of delicious pre-filled water balloons. And in the middle of this fight, Chuck Dew runs up to me and he says, grab an orange and follow me. So I grab an orange and I follow Chuck Dew down the stairs and his bathrobe kind of like sweeps up behind him like a cape. And when he stops, it like swings around and reveals the pale gaunt body of a man who's been modeling laminar flow across a car for the past two years. And he says, when I open this door, you throw. So I wind up and Chuck throws the door open. And right as the orange is leaving my fingertips, the scene on the other side of the doorway comes into focus. And it comes into focus right when the orange is hitting Greg's ass. It's one of these like slow motion, like wobble wobbles that 
will stick with you forever. Greg went to the Navy after he graduated, and he's an alum of the Michigan Solar Car team. He hasn't been on land in a long time, and he hasn't seen his girlfriend in a long time. And on the left of Greg's butt cheek is one of her legs, and on the right of his butt cheek is the other one of her legs. And I use my legs to run back upstairs. I go back to stirring the jambalaya that I'm cooking for everybody. And like three minutes later, I figure I'm in the clear. Nobody's come upstairs. But then Greg comes. And then Greg comes upstairs. The party of 40 drunk engineers gets quiet when Greg comes upstairs. He just says one word. He just says, who? And my hopes of having new friends were shattered when everybody points at me. And Greg lifts me up by my throat and carries me out through the patio and starts drowning me in the hot tub. He is very strong. And I'm underwater in the hot tub, having my trachea collapsed. And I think how stupid I am for dying in a hot tub just because oranges were cheap. <laughs> and I think how stupid Greg is because he's already choking me. The water is redundant. <laughs> and a moment later, he releases my throat and I spring out of the hot tub and on my way out of the hot tub, I see the five or six guys that are hitting Greg with stuff, which has confused him momentarily. And I run into a room, and I lock the door, and I climb into a sleeping bag, and I soak the sleeping bag. And as soon as the adrenaline wears off, I fall asleep. I don't recommend falling asleep first at a college party. <laughs> and when I wake up the next morning, I'm the first one up. It's a war zone. There's oranges and bodies everywhere, and the only other person awake is Greg. <laughs> Nobody heard my scream when Greg enveloped me in a bear hug and said, I'm so sorry for overreacting last night. He fills a bucket of soapy water, and together, scraping the burnt orange juice off of the fireplace doors, we give each other a second chance. Randy, R-A-S.
Um, I don't know how to follow those two, but I'll strike. I'll start with um, a little history, uh, my history. Um, my regrets, my haunting stuff, is um, things that could have been, but turned out not to be. And on the one hand, that's good. But there are still those moments. So I started hitchhiking. I was 13 years old. And I went, uh, summer times, I traveled about 20 miles a day to a, um, a golf course where I caddied. So there are some stories to tell about that, too, but that's really not, there were no real haunting issues from that. Um, I was grateful for it. This was in the 1960s. Um, and it was, a lot, it was a lot simpler than I think. Um, I lived in Chicago in the western suburbs, and it was pretty simple. Um, but the one time that I really am haunted by is, it was 1971, um, I was in my last year of high school, and I was on my way to um, a basketball game, walking down the main street in the town I lived in, it's called Wolf Road. Um, and I was just walking, which was not unusual. Um, and a car pulls up alongside me. Window rolls down. Hey, what are you doing? Oh, I'm going to a basketball game. Um, You gonna have any fun out there? I said, yeah, probably. I'm in the band. I've got, you know, I've got most of my friends are gonna be there. Everything's good. Um, so, well, the reason I stopped is, do you want to go to a party? And I'm like, no, I don't think so. Um, the game will be fun enough for me. I'm not that much of a party goer anyway. I'm kind of a wallflower to begin with. So, nah, thanks though. And so I, a few more steps and he rolls up. It's gonna be cool. There's gonna be entertainment and everything. And I know there's gonna, gonna be a band playing. And I'm like, nah, that's okay. There's a band up there and I'm playing in that one. And he, he just kind of, persists as I'm walking down the street. He said, there's gonna be a clown there. Does anyone get creeped out by Dahmer on TV? Well, um, I was a little bit before that. In having the re retrospective of time, um, this was John Wayne Gacy, the killer clown, and he had just been released on p parole. 
to, um, and he was allowed to come to Chicago with no restrictions, as, as I understand it now. And so here he is trying to get me into the car. So, you know, it kind of does weigh on you. Uh, I'm glad I don't like clowns. <laughs> Thank you. Mars. Yeah, my whole life is a really scary story. But that's really long, so I'll save you most of it. Um, I grew up Mexican. I don't look like it, but I did. And it's not, it's not great. You don't really fit into a box when you look white. So there's that. And I, I was bullied a lot. But most of it was just by my parents. <laughs> That's what it's like being Mexican. <laughs> um, I think the, the most outlandish horror story that I can tell is probably the time that my aunt, as religious and as conservative she is, she did like acid. But she didn't tell anyone. It was just an emotional acid that she took. There was like this one single day where I actually studied for a fucking test. And it was the SATs. <laughs> of all tests, it was the SATs. I was ready for them. I showed up so confident. And my mom pulls me out of school and just decides to like, say, hey, mija, listen. We're worried about you. And um, your family and I have decided to have an intervention because you're just too emo for this world. And I was very surprised because I had actually studied for one single test in my life. And um, my mom picks me up, takes me to my aunt's house. We get there, and there's like an EMT, there's two cops, and I'm really confused. And my aunt and my grandma come out screaming like, I'm Monte! And I'm like, is someone dying? Like... So then, that's when my, uh, my family decided to tell the cops that my mom was a prostitute and that uh, she was also selling crack on the side. I don't know why. Um, I think it was, in fact, the acid. Uh, because I... I don't think that that's very sober of her. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, apparently, earlier that day, I didn't know, but uh, 
My family had hallucinated my grandfather's spirit in the kitchen. Um, and his spirit let them know that I was gonna commit suicide later that evening, which was unbeknownst to me. Uh, <laughs> so I went and I had to get a rape kit done because apparently my stepdad was raping me this whole time and I had no idea. <laughs> Who would have known? Not me. But um, so I, I'm just sitting there taking it. Apparently my mom's a prostitute and a crack whore. And um, uh, yeah, we, we even get home later that evening and um, apparently um, my aunt had shown up earlier that evening with like an EMT, uh, tried to break into my house using the maintenance guys, like good, good honor. She was like, Senor, please help us. My sister, she is lost and her daughter is going to kill herself. Please let us into her house because she's hanging herself in the bathroom. And she like manipulates this poor maintenance man who just gets their asshole ripped open by my mom because she's so fucking pissed that they even let her into her house. Like they broke into her house without her consent. It was a whole thing, and my mom is very angry and very Mexican, so she was just not having it at all. And um, yeah, I never got to retake those SATs. And um, now it's just a really, really funny horror story for me to tell. <sighs> I could tell you a whole bunch of stories, but that's pretty much the gist of it. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Thank you for listening, and I'm glad you survived. Story Story Night is funded in part by the Idaho Commission on the Arts and the National Endowment for the Arts. Thank you to our media sponsor, Radio Boise. Our theme song was composed by Ned Evett. Podcast production is by Stephen Baldessari. Please rate and review this podcast to help other story lovers find us. Thanks to host Beth Norton and musical guest Candy Shake. Support this podcast by texting STORYPOD to 44321. Find out how to participate in our live show at www.storystorynight.org or visit us on Facebook. I'm Jody Eichelberger. Thanks for being a part of our story.